you know, there's plenty of women who are successful in their 40s, 50s, and 60s that we read about in Forbes and Wall Street Journal, which is great, but we really need to provide examples of women in their 20s who have paved the way and have shown how they, through technology, through entrepreneurship, through their own ventures, were able to raise their voice and to start companies when everybody else wasn't. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Start It Up podcast, a member of the Education Podcast Network. Today, I'm excited because we have on Caroline Pugh. Caroline is Chief of Staff at Care Journey. She's also Entrepreneur Magazine, 15 Female Entrepreneurs to Watch. But what she really is, is driven. And she's also concerned about having and developing more female entrepreneurs. That quote you heard at the top of the show. Um, but Caroline is one of those that has just got so much confidence by some of her experiences. She is a rising star. And quite frankly, she's already been relentlessly helpful uh, to me and, and some of my students. So for that, I sincerely appreciate her. Um, but I also love this episode because her approach on things and especially on networking was really kind of uplifting to me. Um, I love how she's just gone after it. I think you'll be surprised if not shocked on how early she got started. Um, but listening to her, you know, journey and her relationship with her dad and what she did to start getting going, especially on the networking side, uh, was really inspirational. So for this reason, I highly recommend it. If you have a daughter or if you're a lady yourself, um, connect with her, uh, follow her on Twitter and LinkedIn. She is relentlessly helpful and just a source of inspiration. All right, enough talking for me. Without further ado, Caroline Pugh. All right, joining me now is Caroline Pugh. Caroline, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Okay, so um, looking over your bio has been eye-popping. Um, so I guess let's start from the beginning uh, not necessarily with Care Journey, but the beginning as, you know, you as a 19-year-old getting your first start. Yeah, so I had always really been interested in technology, and I think it came from an influence of being in a lot of different countries and seeing how other cultures use technology as a way to enable things to happen as well as communicate. Uh, I grew up actually living in five different countries. Uh, I was born in South Korea, and then I moved to England, and then spent some time in South Africa, Taiwan, and obviously here in the United States. Were your parents professors, military? What's how's that? My dad, my dad is an engineer for GE and on the steel manufacturing side, and so we would go to all these steel plants all over the world, and I really got to see how, again, all those cultures were working very closely with technology, uh, and, and that was a very, very eye-opening experience for me. Uh, to see how it's such an integral part of how people make things happen. And I wanted to be a part of that and build things. And I think especially being uh, seeing how things are being made in a manufacturing setting at such a young age really wanted for me, really wanted me to build things. And so uh, when I was 19, naturally, uh, I started a company that was making hardware and we were developing 3D human scanning technology uh, that was being applied to both healthcare as well as the retail space. And it was it was a natural move, honestly. Like I first joined uh, the Entrepreneur Club when I was a freshman in college. And I was just really inspired by all the people in the room who all had their own ideas, whether they were good or bad. And I, I think the thing that really moved me was how passionate these people were about their ideas. 
uh, and I wanted to be a part of that and, and build things and, and change the way that people live their lives. So Ned, you mentioned college. Where'd you go? Virginia Tech. So you, yeah. Okay. So you've read, obviously led this rich life, right? You, culturally, you've, you've seen a lot of things, but I can, I can hear the confidence in your voice, especially because in some ways, and I'm not trying to, to typecast, but like, you're almost the opposite of every stereotype then of the girls not being interested in, you know, manufacturing uh, and all these other things. These rich experiences you got to, to, to have early on obviously affected you, but what then propelled you that at age 19 to not just be interested in this stuff, but to kind of step out and want to have that, I want to do the entrepreneurial thing. I knew from a very early age that I was not the type of person who could really learn and absorb in a classroom. I hated reading textbooks. I hated uh, just being in class, honestly. <laughs> and I think from the age of 16, I actually started going to networking events. Uh, I really actually wanted to get into MIT. And I went to all these MIT alumni events and started meeting with a whole bunch of people in my uh, community and network that were alumni. And through those efforts, I really understood the power of networking because really at the end of the day, it was me as a 16-year-old female going to these alumni MIT meetings where it was a bunch of tech guys, uh, mostly all of them in their uh, 40s, 50s, and 60s. And in the very beginning, I was very shy, didn't know how to go up to these men, didn't know how to introduce myself as a 16-year-old. I went with my dad and he would kind of facilitate conversations and he knew a couple of the guys that were there there were some of his friends from work but then after maybe three to four meetings i felt really comfortable in that setting and i found it fascinating to learn about these people's careers and how they became really successful business leaders and engineers and technologists and i wanted to lead that life and after a while it didn't really phase me that i was the only female in the room i just felt like another person there really trying to learn uh, about how to advance myself and advance my interests in building things. Um, and so when I got to college, I wanted to continue that uh, community that I had built, strangely, with a bunch of you know MIT guys. <laughs> and uh, the, the first organization that I joined was the Entrepreneur Club. And you know this time around, it was people my age, uh, but all very diverse men, female engineers, uh, business majors, accounting majors, creatives. Uh, but every single person was united around the fact that they wanted to really make a change. And they spent actually most of their time, I think, ideating and thinking about new ideas, new things that they could execute on rather than being in the classroom. And I was like, man, these are the people that are speaking my language. <laughs> these are the people that I really yeah. want to and, and I really didn't. Oh eye to eye with other people within the classroom. No, I, so I, I love, first of all, kudos to your dad. Like you said, I, I wasn't confident in going, well, first of all, you showed up, right? Like the, like the hardest part of getting back in shape is showing up to the gym. And, you know, whether you felt comfortable or not, your dad was there and he started facilitating. And then, like you said, quickly you caught on. So I just love that because it, in this you know, crazy class we have, the innovation and open source learning class, it, it's, we've had a hard time getting girls. Yeah. And, and it's driven me nuts because it, the, the class, for better or for worse, and I, we've talked before, but basically the, the class is, you know, about seven weeks where we teach you how to 
ideate, iterate. We teach you how to collect and connect. We teach you how to think for yourself. We teach you how to brand. We teach you this, you know, why you should be on LinkedIn and why you should not act stupid on Instagram kind of thing. But then the rest of it is a lot of it's also open source learning. Find out those mentors. Find those people that you want to connect with. And, 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 and I'm, it drives me nuts because I'm like, some of my girls are shy about it. And, and, and the one thing I've seen, and it was almost kind of a joke, I've seen several people talk about it before, that, you know, if a guy's applying for his, a job and he has five of the 10 criteria, he's like, I'm an expert. Yeah. And if a girl looks at it and she has nine of the 10, she's like, eh, I don't know. Yeah. And it's that reluctance to build that network and to step out when I'm, when I'm wanting more. My God, I, mean, I have two daughters and, and uh, it's not that my two daughters don't have that problem, but you know, I, I'm, I'm looking for more girls to say, no, I'm, I want to network. I want to, you know, step out. Yeah. You know, what's really interesting is I, I don't think at the end of the day, it comes down to women having less ideas or being less entrepreneurial. I think it just comes down to the concept of what you're pointing out is women are shy and, and they don't believe that maybe it's their uh, place to think about technology or engineering or be entrepreneurial or uh, start new companies. Uh, I'll never forget, I spoke at, a, uh, at an event at my school and there are a couple girls in the room, uh, all engineering majors, and I picked on a few of them and I said, do you guys have an idea that you want to work on? They're like, yeah, we, we, we do. And I said, well, why aren't you working on them? Why aren't you starting these companies? And they said, well, we're girls. We're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to follow the guys. And they actually said that. And to me, it was astounding that that actually came out of these girls' mouths in, in that was back in 2016. And so there's this premise that you know, they're supposed to be the nurses and they're supposed to have, you know, specific job titles or specific roles in society. And I think that is very much so changing, uh, fortunately, but I think there needs to be more examples, relatable examples. You know, there's plenty of women who are successful in their 40s, 50s, and 60s that we read about in Forbes and Wall Street Journal, which is great, but we really need to provide examples of women in their 20s who have paved the way and have shown how they, through technology, through entrepreneurship, through their own ventures, were able to raise their voice and to start companies when everybody else wasn't. You know, let's okay. Let's unpack that further, though, because I mean, along the lines of what you said, and even in, and again, I know that this is a sample size of some of my students, and and also hearing my daughter uh, talk about this. Sometimes the barrier is. Um, the women and the expectations or like, Oh, come on, that's a manly thing to do. Uh, or, or, Oh, that's not, that's not what we do. Like it, it's not necessarily the men holding it back. It's, it's the, it's the fear of you guys breaking, you know, social mores or things of that nature. How is that going to start to pivot? I, I think the cultural shift is happening where the traditional roles of the women being at home uh, are just different now. Women are being more ambitious, they're being more empowered, and I think that all comes from the community and network that you build. I think uh, studies and research have showed that 80% of women, uh, women are much more likely, 80% uh, more to start companies and to be entrepreneurial if they have a support system. And that support system doesn't necessarily have to be all just other women. It, it should actually be their family members, their close peers, other men encouraging them to think differently about the way that they pursue their careers. 
no, that's awesome. So now we're going back to you as 19 year old, all of a sudden you're 19, 20 years old and you're starting to <laughs> pitch in front of tech VCs. How does, how does a 19 year old prepare for that? Uh, like, cause I, I'm proud to say we, we, you know, some of my students just were in a pitch competition Two of them won. congrats to them. But like, this was a, yeah. no offense. This was, this was a, this was an educational event. This wasn't, um, tech VCs and, and big dogs. How did you mentally prepare for that? You know, it was one of those things where you understood early on that I was a part of the process. You know, you're not just going to run a company without any money. <laughs> so you needed to start somewhere. Uh, you know, our first pitch deck and our first pitch and pitches, the first hundred of them did not go particularly well. <laughs> but I look back on that experience and it was a tremendous learning experience because with all the no's that we got, we got better every single time. And we got the direct feedback. You could tell from the expression on the VC's face whether or not we were going in the right direction or not. And what, you know, what they thought about our business model, about our pitch, about our team. And so every, every time we learn something new and different and you have to iterate. But I, I will say, as a female 19 year old, you know, you're already maybe not taken as seriously as a 19 year old, uh, but specifically working in hardware and deep technology, you know, we're, we were working with uh, artificial intelligence and 3D scanning and all these topics that again, you know, women are not seen as experts in. And so I, I remember uh, going into some of these venture capitalist offices and for all the technology related questions they would face my co-founder who was male and also engineered by background and by trade and they would face me for all the PR and marketing and sales related questions uh, and that would happen a couple times and eventually I would just speak up whenever they were asking those technology questions and just answer them for myself because I knew the answers and I think Whenever that happened, I would see the look on their faces and it was a look that was like, wow, I didn't realize or I should have known that she would have been able to answer these questions. And it was kind of a look of remorse. <laughs> so I would feel bad for them because the whole time they, they thought that I, I didn't know and they, they realized that I did. So the shift is also happening. It didn't happen in all cases. It was only a handful of cases. But, you know, as challenging as it was, I learned the most in that time frame. I mean, it is worse than breakups. It is worse than people letting you down on dates and not calling you back. When someone says your idea is not going to work, this thing that you are spending, you know, all your time on, blood, sweat, and tears with this team of people, I mean, it's rough. <laughs> it's, it's, no, it's no glamorous life, that's for sure. Yeah. But when you get the first check, I will tell you, I mean, we, it, it's one of those feelings where you feel like you just won the lottery. And we raised our first round was at $700,000 and I was 19 years old. And <laughs> I remember, so I was, uh, I was still in Blacksburg in our college town and we had this business bank account and me and my business partner would go, you know, every couple of weeks with our checks, $50,000, $100,000, whatever it was. And the bank teller, I mean, he was, he thought we were crazy. <laughs> I mean, no other college student in town was depositing these amount of checks. And eventually we got a check for like $200,000 and he finally stopped us. And he said, you know, can I ask? Who are you? Yeah. 
what's going on here? What's the background story? And we told him, we were like, we're developing this 3D scanning technology. And like, I, I think this guy literally thought we were crazy. We were lying. <laughs> so, okay. So that, that's kind of alluding to my next question. Um, all of a sudden you started to reach, and you probably are humble enough to, you're like, oh no, I'm not. You're starting to reach that rarefied era, right? You, you, you know, yeah. entrepreneur magazine, 15 females to watch. Um, female entrepreneurs to watch uh, like when did all of a sudden occur to you that <laughs> I'm starting to become a big deal and and has it and and do you watch your P's and Q's a little bit more now that you are being under a microscope or or has it occurred to you yet that you're kind of a big deal <laughs> uh, I wouldn't consider myself that because there are far far more successful people than I am um but I would say I, I do kind of hold it as responsibility because I do feel like there are younger women, whether it's my own friends or peers that uh, look up to me or they see me as an example of a businesswoman that they would like to be like. And uh, that is extremely rewarding, but at the same time, it's a huge responsibility. And I do say I feel more pressure uh, to, to set that example. And so I, I feel like I'm more cognizant now on a day-to-day basis of things that I do and say and just messaging in general because I want to be a good example for other young women. Okay. No, I, I, I like that. All right, so now we're transitioning into a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, care journey and, and all this, um, you know, things you're doing now. So explain to us what uh, care journey is and, and some of the people that are involved in it. So we are a healthcare data analytics company. So we work with all sorts of healthcare systems and hospitals across the country, really assessing how they are providing good outcomes uh, in terms of actually treating their patients, uh, lowering the cost of care uh, for patients, and also giving access to their own data. Uh, you know, healthcare is you know arguably five to ten years behind when it comes to technology, and so we're trying to bridge that gap uh, and and get it to where it needs to be. And uh, I, you had mentioned uh, before the show somebody that's uh, involved with that. Uh, I don't want to steal the, the thunder, but uh, there's been some big names associated with that. Yeah, I work uh, closely uh, with Anish Chopra, who is yep. the uh, Chief Technology Officer of the United States under President Trump's first term. And uh, they brought forth a lot of ideas in healthcare uh, during that time. And, and uh you know, we're, we're looking to uh, continuously execute on those ideas and policies, and it's been very exciting. Okay. So um, circling back as a, as a teacher that really likes to foster innovation entrepreneurship, I'd mentioned earlier that I'm, I'm trying to get more girls interested. Um, and I always think that the sooner you can do that, the better, right? Uh, like I, I, I think the, the 20% time movement, like or the Google time movement at the elementary and middle school levels is kind of a great um, seed to plant early on, but what are some practical things? Like there's some moms listening and dads listening right now. They have daughters. Um, and as a person that deeply, deeply feels that not all of us should be entrepreneurs, I understand that, but we should all think like them or not all we, we, uh, we, it'd be good that we, we understood how they thought at least. Um, what are some of the things that we can foster in our daughters to well, and just all children in general, but I'm, tr- I'm trying to get more girls to think uh, in, in terms of entrepreneurialism. What are some great starter things that we can get uh, to get them on that path, so to speak? Well, I think it, it's twofold. I think one is the diversity of thought. 
Uh, I, I think in a lot of textbooks, in a lot of schools today, uh, and just society in general, you are women are kind of viewed as you have you know five or six different roles or career paths that you can go, and that those are the ones that you should pursue. Uh, something that I've really appreciated and seen recently is kind of this rise of job fairs, career fairs, and science fairs, where they encourage young women to actually attend and be a part of them and see uh, other career options that they can be a part of, whether that's technology, whether that's medicine, whether, you know, being an astronaut, uh, and setting those examples. And you actually get to go up to these booths where women in those fields are working and they're basically sharing their careers and their stories of what they do on a day-to-day -day basis with these young people, whether they're in middle school, high school, and in college. And I think that gives them a great understanding of what they could expect uh, and, and kind of the breadth of diversity that there is uh, as, uh, you know, someone who's looking to um, uh, have a successful career in 2018. Uh, I think the second piece is the experiential learning piece. Uh, one of the things that really, I think, shaped my thinking around science and technology was being involved in science fairs from a very early age. Uh, and I will kind of attribute this back to my father again, where he really encouraged me to take part in it and take it seriously, not in terms of let's just, you know, make this board and do the volcano thing and do the traditional thing that a lot of people do, but really think about what is an issue that uh, exists today, whether it's in green energy, whether uh, it's in artificial intelligence or medicine that we could really try to tackle through this mini science experiment and just see where it goes and just see, you know, how far we can, we can think into solving this issue. Uh, and so when I was 16, I uh, participated in a science fair project where I was trying to essentially extract algae oil, uh, <laughs> make it into a biodiesel and, and wow. see if I could figure out a way to make it at home. And that was really a challenge um, that my father put on me where there was this Time Magazine article that had just come out that month that was talking about about this new wave of, of green energy and alternative fuel sources. And I thought it was fascinating. I was like, why hasn't anybody cracked this code? And so I think I've always also been naturally curious. And I think instilling that curiosity from a very early age and showing the art of the possible is very important for young women and, and girls and uh, allowing them to ask questions and not shushing them when they ask too many questions. Oh, yeah. Curiosity is the best phenomenon that can happen to anybody. And um, what ended up happening was I just, I, I went and researched all these professors and NIH researchers that were working on making algae oil. And I just started emailing them, <laughs> just cold emailing them, having no expectation of whether or not they would actually respond. And I would say, hey, I'm Caroline, I'm 16 years old. I'm working on this science fair experiment. I'd like to do this, this and this, you know, what's your, what's your experience? And and four out of five of them responded and they were, I think, just so pleasantly glad and surprised to hear that the 16-year-old girl was even remotely interested in the idea. And I think that's when I realized for myself that all you have to do is ask. If you want information, if you want something, period, you just ask. And I think initially I thought, wow, these researchers are so busy. They're so important. They're working on their own thing. They're never going to respond. But they did, and that was a huge wake-up call for me. And I think after that point, I was never scared or hesitant to ask for anything again because it yeah. blessed it. And I think if you can instill that lesson for any 16-year-old girl, 
they'll realize that anything is possible. I'm so glad you said that. I, we, we had that, um, one of our big breakthroughs. Matter of fact, I, I've said this story probably two or three times on the podcast, but it's one of my favorites. Um, we used to call uh, in our class, our, some of our heroes are um, like Tim Ferriss and, and Nami and Jane and people like that. And um, to kind of show to them that you can reach out to people, um, we would ask for the class. You know, you know, it's kind of like when you're afraid to ask somebody on a date, you can ask somebody else. Well, it's not for me. It's for a friend, right? And so <laughs> true enough, uh, one of our best tactics, and honestly, how we even got the podcast started um, is because we, we started reaching out to some people. And um, there was, it was actually Tim Ferriss in general that was like, we'd asked three or four times, we'd gotten no response. And these three girls were like, Mr. Wetrick, Mr. Wetrick. I've got a way that he'll probably respond. I'm like, because we really want to talk to him. I'm like, go. And they says, take a picture of us and we'll look really sad and put in on Twitter like, hey, at Tim Ferriss, why are you ignoring us? We really want to talk to you. And like 10 minutes later, he's like, ha ha, I give up. Okay, let's talk. And I'm like, and it was, that was like one of the days where like, it worked. And it was, and, and it was funny because it was the girls that, that got that it got us over the top and and that's when all of a sudden they got a boost of confidence like so now I've had some girls this year reach out to some of their you know some of our kids like the the, the top people are YouTube influencers right and and uh, some of our girls have reached out to you know, great bloggers and vloggers and things of that nature and it's that whole Roger Bannister effect when that one when that when the first kid gets to that youtuber then everybody was like oh it can happen. Right. And it's been such a great, cause you know, I, in our class, we always, we always roll our eyes when people say, well, it's not what you know, it's who, you know, as if that's terrible. And so our remedy is, well, okay, start asking people, start building that network and, and get out there. And, and those, those people that aren't sitting around and complaining, there's a reason why you're gravitating towards them because you're, they're doing something. And uh, to be a part of that network is, is just no, everything. Point, allowing for social experiments like that I mean that is amazing that those girls thought about that idea and really drawing to the emotional aspect which arguably you know women might be a little bit better at than men <laughs> about out-of-the-box ideas so I'll give one example of uh, when I was at entrepreneur club so this my sophomore year I was the president of the organization and was in charge of raising these funds to fund the events and we wanted to do a pitch competition and give out money and awards so we we're like okay let's Let's try to raise $10,000 and see what happens. And, you know, we had a couple great sponsors, but we, we weren't getting the traction that we wanted. And we wanted to raise awareness about the club. And no one really knowed about Entrepreneurship Club. And we all got together around a table and said, what can we do to really create a viral buzz where everybody on campus is just talking about us? And I had this idea pop into my head. And I said, well, why don't we just give out $1 bills? And literally what we did, there was this field in the middle of our campus that everybody would cross every single day because it was kind of the connecting field where you get from your dorms to your classrooms. And basically we had to ask the school, we said, if we have a case full of $1 bills, cash, and we're sitting out there and we're handing out flyers with a $1 bill, you know, could we do that? And and uh, it ended up kind of becoming this whole thing. We had to have a police officer with us just to make sure no one was going to steal our money and all that. But once we got through that, 
I was literally sitting out there with me and a couple other people from Entrepreneur Club and we're handing out $1 bills with a flyer that says join Entrepreneur Club, go to our website with this cop. <laughs> and everybody's watching us like, what on earth are they doing? And four hours later, after we handed out all the money, I was walking through the cafeteria and I would just hear these murmurs of conversations. I got this $1 bill. I just paid for my soda using a $1 bill that I got from the Entrepreneur Club. And then people would be like, well, what's the Entrepreneur Club? I don't know, but I'm going to find out because they gave me one. <laughs> and by the end of the day, we had 400 people sign up for the organization. And it was astounding. And it was one of those things that I think, again, kind of pushed me and all the people that were involved in a direction that was like, wow, you know, we really pulled something kind of crazy and weird off, but it really paid off. And it was such a gratifying feeling. That's awesome. I, I love to hear stories like that. And and like you said, it, it's that moment where like a lot of things change and, and you start kind of seeing the confidence level also builds. Um, and, and so I, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know, I, I, I'm so passionate about, uh, especially our girls starting to, to build that, um, level of, of, uh, not only confidence, but the, the, the networking and everything else. Um, you've mentioned several times, uh, your folks, right. For, from influences. Um, but other than mom and dad, um, who do you go to, uh, for like good, solid advice when you uh need to recenter i think uh, i feel very grateful in the fact that through building my company uh we developed an advisory board as well as a set of mentors that i would meet with at least on a quarterly basis and they were really kind of my springboard and soundboard at the end of the day where you know there were a lot of times where i did feel lost like are we making the right decision is our business model correct are we partnering with the right companies and there are all these questions just because of the lack of experience and lack of knowledge of the industry and market uh, that i had to ask and i think in all those moments i was pleasantly surprised with how uh, vulnerable I felt I could feel in front of those people. Cause a lot of those people in our, in our case were our investors, you know, people who put in a significant amount of money for our success. And I would come to them saying, you know, this isn't going too well, or I don't know what to do about this. And they would just provide their honest feedback and support and words of encouragement. Uh, and I think, having that relatability factor in, in them saying, when I was building my company, we went through the exact same thing and we, this is how we dealt with it and you'll get through it was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me, period. And uh, I, I will always be really thankful to those people. So I think developing that core group of mentors, you know, even if you're not an entrepreneur, even as a student, I think, you know, sometimes it can be very intimidating to go up to your professor or to make friends with your advisor. You know, these are adults that are oftentimes 20 plus years older than you, and you may not feel like you have a whole lot in common with them. But at the end of the day, you know, they're there for a reason. They want to connect with their students and they want to help. And I think understanding that and reinforcing that and encouraging that students start developing these close relationships with their mentors, with their professors, uh, and eventually uh, allowing them to become mentors is uh, something that could really change someone's life. Yeah. 
That's all. Uh, so the other thing that I've, I've noticed a lot of people have in common, especially on the entrepreneurial side, is that uh, they're usually avid readers. Um, what are the, the, the two books you point back to and say, this had a deep impact on me? <laughs> wow, two books. Uh, yeah, it's like asking you to pick your favorite song, right? It's probably a little tough. Well, I, I will say a recent book that really had a deep impact on me is uh, I'm a huge Ray Dalio fan. Uh, he believes in kind of this concept of radical transparency. And I think that is something that is very much needed in uh, a business environment, especially these days. Uh, so he came out with a book called Principles, and uh, I thought it was very thoughtful. Uh, you are the third person I've talked to in a week that has talked about that book. So that good. Really yeah. Well, I, well, yeah, it's fittingly enough. I, I just uh, got paperwork that I've, I've, it's been finalized. I have my own yeah. uh, nonprofit. And so I need to read because that and because I like listening to Scott Harrison talk of charity water makes me want to be a, a better person and makes me want to run the most influential, greatest, awesome, most transparent nonprofit there is because man, Charity Water does it right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, book number two. <laughs> book number two. I would say something that I've read three times and I never read books more than once is The Happiness Advantage. Oh, yes. Aker is a genius. He uh, taught a course, the most popular course at Harvard, and it was on happiness. The class was just called Happiness. And it was overbooked every semester. And he just talks about the core principles based off of real facts and, and real research that he did on what makes people happy. Yeah. Yeah. That, that I'm, I'm proud to say, <laughs> uh, he did his Ted talk down the street from me. Uh, he did that at Bloomington, uh, that I mean, obviously his class was already successful. Um, but the, the, the Ted talk all of a sudden put him into a different kind of, uh, atmosphere. And yeah, I, I'll always remember because it was the first, and I, this is not a, 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 a like a backhanded compliment to Ted talks, but it was, it was hilarious. <laughs> like that Ted talk was the most entertaining. I, I mean, he understood humor and, uh, it really got me thinking of that. Matter of fact, it was then that I started to do some of those things of, you know, scanning your world and sending an email of gratitude a day. And, and some of those just simple practical things that he had in the talk, which then of course made me, yeah, want to read the book. And, and I agree. It's just, it's a fantastic, I haven't read it three times. Uh, <laughs> but now you make me want to read it again. Cause yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's fantastic. I love it. Love it. Love it. Uh, well, I sincerely appreciate you being on. Um, I love what you're doing. I, I love the fact uh, that you're really starting to, to take uh, the ownership of, of your uh, new, I, how should I say this? I mean, the seriousness of, of like your newfound title. I mean, and I guess we, we didn't even really go over the whole year. You know, you got uh, dubbed the, the entrepreneur, you know, 15 to watch. Um, but I love to see, you know, all these things that you're doing and how you're taking it and, and just being so positive and, you know, talking about the diversity of thought and, and just kind of pushing the boundaries in a, in an awesome, awesome way. I've having two daughters, um, who are now going to be familiar with you and your work. Uh, I sincerely appreciate what you're doing. Thanks so much, Don. I really appreciate you taking the time. All right. Well, uh, wow. Before we go, uh, tell everybody else where they can find you. Any other things that they should be aware of? 
Yeah, you can connect with me on LinkedIn, on Twitter. I'm accessible. Uh, I'd love to share the message of what I'm doing to bring other women together. Also uh, bringing chiefs of staff together. So feel free to drop me a note. Very good. Well, thank you, Caroline Pugh. And uh, I sincerely appreciate you being on my show. Thank you. What did I tell you? Uh, that was one that I thoroughly enjoyed uh, the conversation and one that uh, my daughters have already listened to twice. So quite an inspiration. Again, thanks to Caroline. And also, uh, I would highly encourage you to uh, give her a follow and see what she's up to. I'm telling you, she is indeed one to watch. I totally agree with Entrepreneur Magazine. All right. This is Don Wetrick reminding you again that opportunities are everywhere. We'll see you.